This is Bigger Pockets Daily, where I read evergreen articles on real estate investing so you can still learn while you're on the go. If you just found the show on this Wednesday, welcome. And please tap the subscribe button so you'll get these automatically delivered to you every day, including weekends. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com biggerpockets. Worried about the market? Here are 11 ways to invest during a housing correction by Dave Meyer. We are in a housing correction. It remains to be seen what this means for prices in the national housing market, but some trends are becoming clear. We can gather important insights from these trends to inform our investing strategy and help us all navigate and earn great returns during the correction. The national housing market has peaked. First and foremost, the national market has likely peaked in absolute terms. In plain English, most markets hit their all-time highs in June and have started to come down month over month since then. The housing market is seasonal and prices typically peak in the summer and then start declining in absolute terms. But peaking in June is a little early and reflects the beginning of a correction, in my opinion. Due to this seasonality, the housing market is often measured in year-over-year terms. Or, in other words, what happened in August 2022 versus August 2021. When we look at the national housing market this way, it is still up about 6% year-over-year. That would be considered rapid appreciation in a normal year. But this represents a massive deceleration from the growth rates we've seen over the last few years. Just a few months ago, in May 2022, year-over-year appreciation was over 15%. Of course, everyone wants to know if the national housing market will turn negative year-over-year, but we just, we, uh, we don't know. 
In terms of where we'll end 2022, <laughs> I think it's a toss-up. We'll either see very modest growth rates or slightly negative growth rates for the national housing market at year's end. It is worth noting that in August, San Francisco and San Jose, California, surprise, surprise, were the first two markets to show year-over-year declines. In terms of 2023, it's too hard to tell right now. The real story is within individual markets. So, the answer to before about the national housing market might not be satisfying, I know, but in some ways, what happens with the national housing market doesn't really matter. Well, okay, it matters. But by only paying attention to the national housing market, you miss the most important story about the housing market. The discrepancy between markets. In some markets, dynamics have barely changed and still look like a strong seller's market. In others, the shift towards a buyer's market has has been dramatic. To measure this, I like to look at two lead indicators for housing prices, inventory and days on market DOM. When either of these metrics is low, it indicates a seller's market. When they are high, they indicate a buyer's market. First, we take a peek at Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Inventory remains extremely low in a historical context and hasn't really increased at all, indicating this metro area is still in a seller's market. Philly isn't alone. Many cities, predominantly in the Midwest and Northeast, look this way too. Boston, Chicago, Hartford, Connecticut, Cincinnati, Ohio, Madison, Wisconsin, and many others still see pandemic-level inventories. On the other hand, when you look at some of the winners of the pandemic era, we see inventory for Boise, Idaho, for instance, as one of the poster children of rapid appreciation. Not only has inventory started rising, but it's also risen above pre-pandemic levels. So this strongly indicates that Boise has shifted to a buyer's market. Other cities are seeing rapidly rising inventory are low affordability cities like Austin, Texas, Las Vegas, Nevada, San Francisco, and San Jose. Again, surprise, surprise, California. We don't know what will happen with prices in these markets, but it can be helpful to look at lead indicators like inventory and DOM to get a sense of varying dynamics. I recommend everyone listening to this goes and does some research on their own market. Redfin has a great tool for this. However, I want to caveat this data by explaining that these metrics only describe the current situation and provide an outlook for the next few months. Inventory and days on markets say nothing about the long-term prospects of any of these markets. For that, you need to understand population growth, supply and demand, and job wage growth. I call this out because a lot of markets that are now seeing the biggest potential for correction are cities that are still kind of pretty good long-term opportunities. Austin is a perfect example of this. Austin grew really quickly over the last few years, and for good reason. The city has enormous economic and population growth and shows no signs of slowing down. But perhaps home prices grew too quickly and they could see a reset in prices, or declines, before starting to grow again, probably when interest rates go down again at some point in the future. On the other hand, some markets that are more stable at the moment, like Chicago, have seen modestly declining populations over the last few years, which could hamper future price growth. Overall, housing prices are set to decline. I think we're likely to see housing prices decline in absolute terms over the coming months. 
Rising interest rates, of course, have depleted affordability in the market. With recent events and persistent inflation, it seems that rates will stay high for the foreseeable future. I'm not convinced the national market can withstand sustained downward pressure exerted by low affordability. Something has to change, and if rates stay high for a while, as it now seems they will, the thing that has to change is housing prices. That said, I still don't think we'll see a crash or declines of greater than 20%. There are a lot of reasons for this, such as better lending practices, long-term supply shortages, etc. But one emerging trend that could provide a backstop for price declines is a sharp drop-off in new listings. People just don't want to sell their houses right now. The housing market is not the stock market, and when homeowners are faced with the prospect of selling into an adverse market, eh, they just opt out. Unlike in 2008, the vast majority of Americans are in a good position to service their debt. Many Americans will opt to stay in their homes and kind of wait out the rough market. This is particularly appealing because over half of American homeowners have mortgage rates under 4%. Over half! Who wants to sell into a declining market only to have to rebuy with a much higher interest rate? <laughs> it seems like many homeowners are rejecting that idea. That's how I see the market right now. Market dynamics are changing rapidly, but I hope sharing my current read on the housing market is helpful to you. The market is cooling off rapidly, and there's a huge variance between regional markets, but a crash remains highly unlikely. Just for reference... Most forecasters see the national housing market landing somewhere between plus 3% and negative 8% in 2023 on a year-over-year basis. Not a crash, but there is potential for a significant correction. Okay, all that said, let's get into it finally, the 11 ways to invest during the housing correction. All that background was so important because the question just becomes, how do you invest in this type of market? Here are a few of my thoughts. Number one, invest in hybrid cities. Ideally, cities that offer decent cash flow are seeing stable prices right now and have decent long-term prospects. These are often smaller cities like Madison, Wisconsin, Birmingham, Alabama, and Virginia Beach, Virginia. Number two, negotiate for crying out loud. If you want to invest in markets with great long-term prospects, look for under-market deals. Once prices start to drop, Sellers sometimes panic, and you can often find value. The data might not show this, but every experienced investor I know says that sellers are willing to negotiate right now. If you can buy below market rates, that kind of offsets the risk of modest declines in the coming months. In this type of market, it's more important than ever to use an investor-friendly agent who can help you navigate local market dynamics. Biggerpockets.com is a great place to go where you can find one for free. Number three, House hack. House hacking is pretty much always a good option, in my opinion. Four, just stay away from flipping. Don't start flipping houses. Well, I don't flip houses, so I'm biased, but uh, I wouldn't advise anyone to start right now either. There is market risk, labor risk, and material cost risk. Experienced players are probably still doing well, but I don't think it's a good time for newbies to start flipping. Five, New construction might be lucrative. Prices on newly constructed homes are likely to decrease more than existing homes and could provide a relatively good value for long-term investors. Traditionally, 
New construction isn't a great option for rental property investors, but with many developers offering incentives and discounts, I'm definitely keeping my eye on newly constructed homes that are unique and in good areas. I don't like cookie-cutter developments in the suburbs. It's too hard to differentiate your property to prospective tenants and can create a race to the bottom in adverse market conditions. Number six, beware of short-term rentals. I think high-priced vacation rental markets are going to get hit the hardest. During the pandemic, demand for second homes skyrocketed alongside interest from short-term rental investors. That demand, not prices, has come crashing back down to earth. I don't use that word lightly. I worry that some STR investors bought at a bad time, and if demand falls during a recession, there could be some forced selling. I never root for anyone to lose their shirt on a home they bought or an investment, but if that does come to pass, it could present buying opportunities for sure. Number seven, explore creative financing options. Consider creative financing options like subject to, sub to, and seller financing. These financing strategies offer the opportunity to buy real estate at lower rates than conventional mortgages and also can help boost your spending power. Number eight, hold on to what you got. If you bought a property within the last 10 years with low interest debt, stay calm and carry on. You might want to go ahead and give back some recent appreciation, but if your property cash flows, rent growth is improving your cash flow and might continue to do so into the future, making it a solid long-term investment. I know, it sounds boring, but deciding to hold a property that cash flows, has a low rate, and could see increased income is a good move in this market. The alternatives, such as a cash-out refinance, 1031 exchange, or selling and paying taxes, will likely yield worse returns than just holding on. Number nine, use cash, if you can. If you have the means, consider buying with all cash. We all know debt is expensive. If you believe the consensus that price growth is likely to come in between 3% and negative 8% next year, then investing in real estate using high interest rate debt may actually be dilutive to your returns compared with buying in all cash in the near term. If you buy a property generating income at a 4% cap rate and assume 2% appreciation next year, then 6-7% interest rate debt will likely make your returns worse than if you buy all cash. Don't believe me? Go ahead and try it out on the BiggerPockets Rental Property Calculator. Depending on your appreciation assumption, financing with debt may actually make your returns worse than buying all cash. <gasps> no way. Yes way. Not many people have this option, but if you do, it's definitely worth exploring in this market. Number 10, become a private lender. As rates continue to rise, it could be a good time to shift at least part of your real estate strategy to the lending side. Returns on private lending can be as high as 10 to 14% in the current market, and demand for private loans is likely to rise significantly in the coming months. Your worst-case scenario as a lender is that you become an equity holder in the real estate property you're lending to. If researched and executed carefully, lending may produce much higher returns than equity investments over the next 12 months, with a dramatically lower risk profile. And number... 11. Time the market. 
if you have a crystal ball. Lastly, you could try to time the market, but that is notoriously difficult and something I would not try to do. Instead, I stick to the basics and look for good long-term opportunities. Remember, property values are not the only way you make money with rental property investing. You could try to time the market, but in the meantime, you'll miss out on cash flow, loan paydown, and tax benefits. I'm not saying you should buy just anything, but you need to factor in variables other than property prices when deciding where to allocate your capital. If you want to learn how to analyze deals with all of these metrics, you can check out my new book. It's called Real Estate by the Numbers, which I co-authored with Bigger Pockets legend, Jay Scott. And let's wrap things up for today. So this advice is all based upon my current read of the market, so you may want to consider alternative strategies if you think my read is incorrect. With all the economic uncertainty right now, really difficult to know what's going to happen next, but I hope this analysis at least helps you interpret what's going on right now and how to invest in the current market. You made it through another episode of Bigger Pockets Daily. Did you learn something new? If you still have questions about this subject, jump onto the forums at biggerpockets.com slash forum. It's like being at a 24-7 networking event without the business cards and awkward small talk. Otherwise, you know the drill. We'll have another episode waiting for you in the morning.